2: Happy Friday, folks, and welcome to a slightly special edition of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Andrea Stino, uh, sending to you live Friday, January 13th, and uh, we're trying out something new today on the Daily Briefing. We'll have a bonus half for our members, and uh, in the first half of the show, we'll be talking uh, with Raul, our founder, about this week's market action, All of that stays the same, basically, but in the second half of the show, we'll uh, dive deep into Raoul's latest Global Macro Insiders report. Uh, and that's only on our platform for the Real Vision subscribers. Uh, so we'll get Raul's thoughts on why he thinks everyone's too negative by now, why inflation is set to disappear, and why we see a rebound in China and the ramifications of that rebound for the global economy. He'll also be taking your questions. So um, if you don't want to miss that, you can sign up by uh, using the link in the description or scan the QR code that you have on the screen right now uh, but with that said, let's get started. From a hurricane to a mild recession, what has changed? I'm basically quoting Jamie Dimon now. So um, welcome to the show, Raul Pal, our co-founder of uh, Real Vision. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here. It's great to see you, my friend. We've been for a while. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I mean, it is truly a crazy week in global macro. Um, and I started out by quoting... Jamie Dimon, Um, uh, it was obviously uh, the big banking day uh, in in earnings today with uh, earnings up from, for example, J.B. Morgan. And um, Jamie Dimon said that we should expect a mild recession. And if we roll back time a couple of quarters, he basically warned us of a hurricane coming up. So what's changed, Raul?
3: You know, I don't know. I
2: mean, I think you and I have both been
3: pretty consistent with – our views and what's coming and nothing's really changed because it was baked in the cake, I mean, nine months ago, the economic data, and we've just been tracking that path. All the forward-looking stuff that both you and I use, business cycle forecasts have given us the calling for recession for a long time ago now, and we're now playing out the latter parts of it. Now, yeah, we can argue and debate how long and how big it is. Now, but I'm hearing more of this kind of, mild recession, soft landing calls from people. And I don't know really yet. I don't really see that. I see short and sharp. And we'll we'll talk about that later in the second half. But I don't really see the mild element. Maybe it's to do with, you know, if we go back to 1980, the Volcker one, right? Everyone talks about that as like this terrifying recession. It was actually a really mild one. And um, the S&P went down 28% and that was it it was kind of over and done with so maybe there's something to do with nominal versus real mm. that means that it uh, prices remain you know demand remains higher because of nominal
2: mm. i think that's a good analogy um and if you're right that we can use that 80s playbook, then um, it could be a milder recession than uh, thought by many. Um, It's at least very interesting to discuss when we uh, get to the 2023 outlook in the second half of the show, Raoul. I wanted to touch upon the price action this week first. Um, To me, it's been one of the crazier weeks in global macro that I can remember. Uh, We have action ongoing in China, in Japan, in Latin America. In the US, in Europe, um, everything's is moving at the same time. So, what do you make of all of these moving parts this week, Raoul? They're moving in all directions. Yeah, but a lot of the direction is that the
3: inflation weight is less, and therefore the rate of change of interest rate increases. The Fed are making it pretty clear they're probably going to go to twenty five. So it's. As you know, in global macro, it's the rate of change that matters more than anything else, not the absolutes. So if the rate of change changes, all these beach balls start popping out of the water that have been held down by the heavy weight of interest rate rises and that rate of change. That's all gone. So suddenly, you know, emerging markets go up, gold goes up, crypto goes up, equities go up, Um, you know, that whole story. I don't know what the BOJ is doing. I've kind of lost track of that. And I just, I almost kind of... I know it's a bad thing to say, ignore it, because people overfocus on Japan, and in the end, it's still pretty contained. It's not like they're going to let rates go to 2%. So, you know, and are they going to, I was having this conversation with Julian Brigden earlier on, on the Insider Talks, is, are they going to let it all go and just give up yield curve control and walk away? I mean, no, they've just widened the band. Why would they suddenly decide... Oh, you know what we're just going to let interest rate run wild in Japan now and completely destroy everything so but interesting market overall, I mean you know it's been a very risk on week
2: very risk on for some reason, Raul, we tend to get breaking news out of Japan if the interest rate moves five basis points right but I guess the reason is that the curve is uh, is typically just zero throughout uh, the uh, horizon, right um but I wanted to get your take on this Chinese reopening. Um, It's been part of the news flow basically since New Year's. uh, And it seems to me that everything with just a small link to China is rallying like crazy as a consequence of this reopening. So what's your take on the price action link to everything Chinese? So think of that beach ball, right? There was another weight on the world,
3: which was the world's largest trading economy, was closed. So if you... If you reopen, then the beach ball rises. So anything that has Chinese exposure is going to see a net marginal increase in demand from where they were. So I think it's just that. The question is, is does China coming back into the world economy mean anything yet to the global economy? Uh, my tendency is to think that China... Um, again, we'll talk about this later, the Chinese credit cycle, the Chinese money supply tends to lead currently the Western world by about 12 months. So I think if we're thinking of what's happening now, then we've got a 12-month lead time before it starts filtering into the rest of the world as well in some respects. So, and the rest of the world, the impact on the rest of the world, you know, people are like, well, China's opening commodities. It takes time because the Western demand is still going down. So it's really going to make a difference to the commodity markets that so many people are looking at. Is when all three engines are firing: Europe, China, um, US. When those three fire, then you've got a potential long-lasting uh, commodity rally. But without it, you sh- you've still got a you know
2: one of the one or two of the legs of the stool missing. Mm. One of the things that I've noted is the op- sudden optimism around inflation Uh, and we obviously had uh, the most important monthly inflation report yesterday the one from the US um, with a number bang on consensus but if we look at the details I actually think it was a slightly interesting report Um, there are signs of clearly fading price pressures if you set housing costs aside and I think there are good reasons to set housing costs aside Um, not that I considered the so-called homeless basket, the right one to capture. But um, the reason is that the housing data lacks the reality role. Absolutely. Mm. So beneath the surface, it was actually a pretty comfortable report, I'd say, for those looking for for slowing price pressures. But one thing I've noted today, uh, and I guess it's a story that carries links to China as well, was the global announcement of price cuts from Tesla. Uh, we obviously also saw the pi- price of cars um, falling in the CPI report from the US. What do you make of this price cut from Tesla? Is it something worth watching? Um, so Tesla Tesla doesn't have its own dealer
3: network. So really to manage inventory they can't ram it into the, into the dealers. So what the other car companies do is give them cheap loans and ram the inventory into the dealers and let them deal with it. Um, so what's happening here is they have to deal with their inventory. So I think it's the right thing to do because you know the price of secondhand testers has been falling as all secondhand cars have, and so to stimulate demand, if they're able to do so directly, why not do it? Um, you know, and maybe they gain market share from it. But it proves the point, and it's the point that even Elon Musk was making: is the inflation picture turned a while ago? I mean, he, you know, I remember him in the summer saying most of the basket stuff we're buying is down down 50% from the high um and it was like no it's not you know but so i think what what we're seeing from this is you know if you think of e- what two businesses of elon musk one is twitter one is tesla what has he done at twitter laid off tons of staff and what has he done at tesla cut prices that's a recession for you right that's that's exactly what recessions are all about that's exactly what the fed want to see they want to see prices come lower. They want to see a rise in or a lowering in wage demand. So you know, it's kind of exactly as the framework that you and I have been looking at for a while, which is you know, a recession is coming, and I've lost count of how many, particularly tech companies, have done this now. I mean, it's just endless. I mean, everybody's done at least one or two rounds, or all three rounds of of cutting um, headcount costs um, and prices generally. We've seen discounting. And remember, you know, I think even you and I talked about this. There was a massive rebuild in inventories, excess inventories that were carried into the end of last year. And you kind of knew that after Christmas, anything they didn't sell was going to have to go out the door. And so I think we will see this everywhere where we see some massive discounting to clear inventories. And again, classic part of recession. Inventory liquidation is what recessions are all about. Mm. Um, So, you know.
2: I think we'll see a rapid inventory liquidation in the first quarter. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to LipsonAds.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
2: Tend to agree. And um, if we look at this Tesla story, I also want to get your take on on the price action surrounding Tesla from New Year's until now. It's been a crazy volatile beginning to the year for Tesla. Um, Obviously linked to Elon's Twitter strategy as well in my humble opinion. But what do you make of it? Um, is it something worth watching in terms of broader trends in the tech space? Or is it an isolated story to Tesla? So I
3: think it's a lag. I think Tesla's such a favored stock that it's actually lagged. So what I've been looking at is what I call these exponential age stocks, these kind of big technology companies that are that are sitting on top of exponential adoptions of technologies. And in Tesla's case, it's EV, it's AI, it's robotics. I mean, they've got like five of them embedded in the business. But all of these, when you put up a log chart, so Amazon's a beautiful chart. Since its beginning, it's been in a log channel since it launched. I mean, it's incredible. It's because it's a network adoption stock. So most of these stocks have all gone down to two standard deviations oversold. You know, I, I put this regression channel that's easy to do on Bloomberg, and they've all got two standard deviations oversold. Tesla was the one that wasn't anywhere near it, and then it it formed that head and shoulders top pattern and puked. Mm. And you know, the bottom of the channel is about a hundred dollars, and it pretty much touched it. So you know, have we got to the kind of levels where Tesla's bad news is in the price? Probably. Um, not a hundred percent guaranteed, but I would suggest that you know, is the EV market going away over the next five years? Are we going to sell more EVs? Well, you know, you live in Europe and you see it clearer than everybody else. I mean, every bloody car on the street becomes an EV over time in Europe. Uh, the US is slower to see it, but it's happening even here in the Cayman. Tons of- I and mean, I've got two of them, Little Cayman. So I think that the trend continues. So, you know, I'm actually looking at, okay, where's the place to add? The Twitter story, it was really interesting. I know some people absolutely hate Elon Musk. I just observed the whole thing. And a lot of people was like, he doesn't know what he's doing. I went onto a two-hour Twitter spaces of him with a bunch of engineers about the Twitter tech stack. I mean, the guy knows it inside out. His tweets are kind of, like a snap of his monkey mind, I actually hear him talking, he talks in extraordinary detail about stuff that, you know, is beyond my understanding. And I I then went through the 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 rabbit hole of listening to long form Elon Musk interviews to say, okay, what is this man really about outside of the Twitter noise? And um I, I came away I was surprised. You know, when you hear him talking about artificial intelligence, self-driving cars. Um, Rocket engineering, you know all these things. I mean, his knowledge is not superficial, put it that way. I mean, extraordinary. So, in the end, I'm actually more of a buyer of Tesla than a bear. And you know, I'm biased. I mean, I've got a Tesla Model X Plaid, and it's the best car I've ever had. Mm. It's an extraordinary piece of engineering.
0: Yeah. And so, I'm, if I could
3: buy secondhand Teslas right now, I'd be buying them with
2: both fists. I'm basically more tempted than ever to buy a Tesla myself um, first of all because it's impossible to find a parking spot in Copenhagen where I live if it's not an electric vehicle uh, because they're basically reserved for those um, but secondly also since it's it's kind of tempting giving the price action right um, I was asked in a podcast the other week whether I f- uh, found it likely that the Tesla stock would trade higher than current spot levels in 12 months from now. And everyone else on the panel said "No," and I said yes, uh, just because I like being a contrarian, but also given the amount of pessimism around the stock by now um, it's it's extraordinary uh, the amount of pessimism by now uh, just compared to three to six months ago yeah, and the you know the twitter story the question is is
3: okay, so Elon musk can take rockets to space develop a satellite link network um, full self driving cars the largest ev car company in the world robotics artificial intelligence but he can't figure out the tesla balance sheet i mean that's ludicrous assumption right so of course he knows the question is, is what is he doing with twitter you know and that's a more interesting thing to me i think you're right uh, tesla's been caught in the crosshairs of that and um the question is more what he's doing with it. And I actually think he's using it, he will be using it as he's going yeah. to play. He gets them so they fund themselves. And what he gets is to train his AI models at scale, particularly for the Optimus robot. Because now we've got humanity throwing shit at each other all day on Twitter. You see the good, the bad, the ugly of humanity. It's a very good way to train AI. So that's what, and that's why I think you need to take bias out of the equation, political bias, because if you train AI on any of the other social media models, they all tend to be skewed one way or the other. So one of the ways of taking out bias is by removing from the platform, say, I believe in free speech. I don't think he really gives a shit. Um, I believe in free speech. Try to get as many people. He wants to get long form content plus video. He's got audio content uh, plus short form. You've got humanity in one place. That's Mm. pretty that's a, that's worth 44 billion considering microsoft is sticking 10 billion into open
2: ai at a valuation of what 30 billion dollars so yeah yeah and some huge progress has been made in this area over the past couple of years i remember some of the first tests that were made with um ai based robots they basically turned into nazis in a couple of days right um, but they don't do that any longer um Raul, I wanted to play a soundbite for you from a discussion I had with uh, Mark Nelson from Radiant Energy Group um, just this week. He's super upbeat on nuclear. um, And I interviewed him as part of our new series Looking for the Upside because that's one of the things that we want to look for this year. With all of the negativity, with all of the doom and gloom of 2022, we want to look for the upside. So let's listen to Mark's pitch on nuclear and get back to the upside of 2023.
1: So in California, one of the biggest stories in nuclear last year is the home of the anti-nuclear movement, the state that gave us the worst of the anti-human, anti-nuclear environmentalism, turn around. And the political, the democratic political establishment turned and ran away from that, decided to keep Diablo Canyon open for another, well, they say five years, but it'll probably be 60 or 80 years, thus signaling that any country closing nuclear for ideological reasons is on its own, is abandoned. The rest of the world is moving the other way. And that's in the democratic West, the place where we need to see a return of nuclear because it's also some of the richest places in the world. We wanna see nuclear growth there and also that's where a lot of the equities are gonna be. You asked about uranium, the use of uranium. Well, as Japan, gets more and more pro-nuclear at every level of government. Now, it's not all levels of government, and what we're waiting on in Japan is local courts and some of the regulators. Japan's politicians want nuclear back on. The plants, they got all nine reactors that they wanted to have going into this winter on. So they met a fairly intense goal of having all nine of the, of the currently opened reactors on and working through the winter. They want more. They're planning for more. That is going to be a major sign that the worst of the post-Fukushima slump is is beyond us.
2: You can watch the entire show with Mark Nelson already today at the Real Vision platform if you are an essential subscriber. It's a great interview, and Mark Nelson is a very passionate guy about nuclear. Be sure to stick around to um, hear Raoul's take on his latest GMI report. That is in the second half of the show. Remember, this is a special edition of the Real Vision Daily Briefing. We will be sending an hour today. Uh, the second half of the show will be on the realvision.com platform. Uh, Raoul will also be taking your questions. Uh, so if you don't want to miss that, you can sign up by using the link in the description or scan the QR code on your screen right now. And Raul's- also
3: while we're at it, you're all watching this for free on youtube
2: if you want to see more of this
3: just click the subscribe and like button it helps us out a lot and you'll make sure you get to see this every time it comes out so like subscribe please
2: valid point bro we're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of today's top analysis on the real vision daily briefing
0: you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.
2: This Looking for the Upside series is um, a favorite of mine, bro. It's a pleasure to host it uh, since. I honestly got a little bit tired of the doom and gloom of Q3 and Q4 of 2022. So is there any upside to look for in 23? And what's the whole idea behind this series? I'm actually
3: very bullish. Mm -hmm. Now, the recovery from a bear market either comes two ways, either kind of it comes up, corrects, and then eventually goes, or it comes sharper. It depends on central bank action, liquidity, that kind of stuff. But if I look forward I'm very bullish because we've just gone through the rate cycle, so that's out of the way, so we've got the downside rate cycle It stick somewhere in the middle, which I don't think they will, but let's say the consensus is right. It's the rate of change that matters, the rate of change comes down first, then sticks. so that's good for risk assets we are we've marked down everything in value and price, so therefore the probability of a risk adjusted return on yep um and then we've got you know i've been talking about this a lot the exponential age technologies we we're talking about tesla but you know anybody's been paying attention has seen what happened to ai it went from me interviewing emad to say oh my god this is coming to chat gpt to everyone thinking oh shit we're out of a job within 3 weeks i mean that that chat gpt went from zero to a million users in 4 days There's, we've never seen anything like it um, and it keeps crashing. with so many users on it. So that's the technology. And we've got tons of these coming. You know, the energy situation that you've been following so closely, you know, the nightmare in Europe didn't pass in the end. It's, you know, we saw what was bad, but, you know, the Peter eye hands of the world and others were like, you know, the Europeans are going to be having to be chipping frozen corpses from the streets. That doesn't look like that's happened. Nobody's run out of energy. Um, yes, there's been some rationing and stuff like that, but it's it seems to be contained. So also investors were so negative that I've got charts going back to the 1970s, the AAII Investor Survey, Investor Intelligence Survey. It was the most negative since 1970 or something crazy. Um, so usually when all of those things happen and we've got liquidity returning, markets are pretty positive. So I love this series because I think this I think Everybody's looking that way, and that usually means the opportunities
2: to look the other. Mm. I agree, Roel. Speaking of liquidity, we actually have a technicality worth discussing surrounding dollar liquidity. The uh, US Treasury hinted today that they will reach the debt limit on Thursday, which means that the US Treasury will um, have to take additional steps to ensure that they can um, pay bills over the course of Q1 and Q2. Interestingly, Raoul, it actually means that we could see dollar liquidity being added by the the U.S. Treasury, because ahead of such a debt ceiling deadline, they're not allowed to incentivize politicians to drag negotiations out for long uh, by holding a lot of cash idle at the Federal Reserve. So the U.S. Treasury will simply have to empty its uh, cash buffer at the Federal Reserve. And private banks and households and corporates will be on the receiving end of that liquidity, which make for, makes for an interesting liquidity scenario into um, the uh, beginning of February and uh, March. And um, Janet Yellen obviously said that Thursday is the day to watch in terms of the debt limit. But is it something that... You find tradable role. It's 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 almost something that we discuss every year, right? <laughs> I've been doing this since nineteen ninety. I've
3: heard this debt limit. You know, the, the negotiations have gone on and long. But look, there's never a default. I think it's interesting. Is the point you raise interesting? And the Treasury General Account is an interesting part of that equation and how they manage it. You know, because don't forget, there has been various offsets to QT that have been going on that meant liquidity's not been as negative as it could have been. Um and the treasury account is one of the the big things that can add or reduce liquidity to markets. As you suggest that they start adding liquidity, that all seems to be the start of the change of liquidity that I've been looking for. The you know you can hear the cowbell in the distance as it were.
2: Yeah, let's see whether we get an actual liquidity edition from the Federal Reserve as well throughout this year. That is one of the questions that we will discuss in the second half of the show when we go through your 2023 outlook, Raul. Final thing I wanted to touch upon before we get to the 2023 outlook on the realvision.com platform is the Bank of Japan meeting next week. Um We've touched upon it early in the discussion, but it seems to me from all of the Bloomberg chats that I'm on that it is the thing that all hedge funds are watching right now. We've seen a massive move in the yen over the course of the past few weeks. But interestingly, it actually seems like a rally in the yen is equal to good news for dollar bonds. So what do you make of that correlation and the event next week in Japan? Well, you know, it depends because the Japanese, the large foreign buyers
3: of assets so it it depends where their capital flies to and what happens um i mean the yen has been screaming higher over the last few weeks and stuff so i don't really know i do tend to find that if every hedge fund is thinking there is a special event of which they know something about and nobody else does it usually means that everybody knows about it it's you know you know when when you've got a lot of people all talking about one event risk that event risk is priced. So I, I think it's relatively priced. Um, I don't know. And I think it's only at the margin it really affects US bond markets and European bond markets. So again, I, I've tended to find that the market has over-traded Japan as a global story. Um, and, I, and I found that it hasn't had as much impact as, as people expect. It's at the margin impact.
2: Mm. I don't know. What do you think? Well, The simple equation, uh, or the simple bond math rather, tells me not to care too much about it. If the Bank of Japan moves the needle by 25 basis points, it's still a bad trade to buy US treasuries with an embedded FX hedge seen from Japan. Uh, It still yields negatively when you account for the running cost of hedging the dollar versus the Japanese yen. And a move of 25 basis points in the uh, Japanese yield curve will not alter that in any way. So I think it's much more important whether the Japanese yen is trending higher or lower, because if it trends higher, it will make the life a whole lot easier for Bank of Japan. They struggled a lot with the FX last year, and currently they can lean back and accept it, which is a game changer for their holdings of dollar assets um, so on the margin it may actually be end up being positive for the U.S. Treasury market I think that was all for the first part of the show Raul. Um, thank you very much uh, out there for watching the first part of the daily briefing but we will continue the conversation on the Real Vision platform and get uh, Raul's thoughts on um, inflation the 23 outlook for risk assets and the ramifications of the rebound in China. He'll also be taking your questions. I see that we have a lot of questions coming in already. Thank you very much for those. Uh, But if you don't want to miss the second part of this conversation, you can sign up via the link below or via scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you. And if you're already a member of the Real Vision family, you can obviously just head for the platform and catch the rest of this interview. So we'll move to realvision.com right now and uh, start the discussion on the 2023 outlook, which will prove to be another interesting year in macro.
3: Yeah, thanks, everybody. and Also have a great weekend for those of you who are not coming over to Real Vision. What's
1: up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.
0: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad.